this morning we're going to look at experiencing God on the mountaintops. And when you think about mountaintops, typically we always just think about those are the good times in our life when, when everything is good and hunky-dory and we're just ready to go. I wanted to share with you specifically today about what Moses experienced and how Moses experienced God on the mountaintop. Uh, he was changed. He was changed physically. He was changed mentally. He was changed spiritually uh, when he experienced God. And my goal is that we'll be able to see some of those areas in our life that maybe you need to change like Moses did in order to truly experience God on a mountaintop. We're going to be in Exodus, mostly chapter 34. You can go ahead and turn there. Um, that's like the second book in the Bible. So it's a, you know, table of contents, then Genesis, Exodus. And so chapter 34, check that out. Um, what you need to remember, though, is now after, after being with God on the mountain, there, there was a change in Moses. The Bible says his face was so lighted up and so radiant that other people could see it. it. The funny thing is, though, Moses was kind of oblivious to it. He didn't realize he glowed. He didn't see it. We're going to touch on that. In fact, the Bible says that people who saw it were afraid of him and had Moses put a veil over his face. Listen, Exodus chapter 34, verse 35, it says they saw that his face was radiant and then Moses would put the veil back over his face until he went in to speak with the Lord. This is interesting. I found that there were several times in Moses's life where he spoke with the Lord. There are many times where he was in God's presence and many times that Moses was in the presence of the Lord but especially up on Mount Sinai. And I don't know exactly how many times he went before the Lord. I figured it was around six, seven, eight, nine, ten times, something like that. Uh, the Bible doesn't get real specific, but there are, there are some specific times from the burning bush to the second time he was given the Ten Commandments. And there were other moments where he went into a tent and God's presence was there. And so it was kind of hard to really track it down. But one of the things I, I think I've narrowed down is it was the last time that he was in the presence of the Lord that he came out and his face was shining. And so that made me think, well, why didn't it shine the first time out with the burning bush when he was in the presence of the Lord? Or, or maybe not the, the fourth time or the fifth time. Why, why was it the last time? And then I got to looking at it, I realized there was something different about the last time that Moses was before the Lord. And, and so I, I want to, I hope you're wide awake during this because I want you to catch these differences. And there's a lot of them, so, so get ready. Moses went up into the presence of the Lord many times. One time, he spent 40 days there with the Lord. And just so you know, he did that twice. He was before the Lord for 40 days twice. But on one time, he went with other people. The Bible says that Aaron was there and, 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 and the, the, some of the elders. And so there were more people one time. But it was only on this last time he goes before the Lord that his face shines. What was the difference? And I think we can understand those differences that maybe we can understand how we can experience God uh, and, and experience God on our mountaintops and, ex and experience the glory of Jesus Christ. Will you pray with me? Father God, I thank you for today. I thank you that we have these examples of, of people who, who, who had experience with you and, and how it changed their lives, not just spiritually, but, but also physically and mentally, how their outlooks were different. I pray, Lord, that as, as we look at this story, as we look at Moses and his his time with you, that we'll desire to be like that, that, that we'll begin to make those changes in our lives so that we can truly experience you in our life and, and truly shine for you in our community. It's in your son's name we pray. Amen. So, so how does this new, new Moses emerge? What steps did Moses take that, that finally changed 
his life, that, permeate, that permitted his face to shine, that allowed him to become so radiant? I think Exodus chapter 34 has the answers. We're going to start with verse 1. The first thing I see with this, as opposed to other times that Moses was before the Lord, is that Moses had better preparation. Verse 1 says, The Lord said to Moses, Chisel out two stone tablets like the first ones, and I will write on them the words that were on the first tablets which you broke. Now, he's not blaming Moses there. He's not like, oh, butterfingers. He, he knew the process, okay? But he's saying, you know, you, this time though, you're going to chisel out two stone tablets. So the first thing you have to do, the first thing we have to do, we have to chisel out our stones. He chiseled them out of, out of a much larger rock. And I don't know how big the Ten Commandments actually were, but I figure that, you know, those two tablets, in order to not be too fragile and thin and to be carried around in the Ark of the Covenant and all that kind of stuff, they had to weigh between 30 and 50 pounds. I think that's a, a modest preacher assessment on what they would have weighed. I don't really know. But you, you've got to chisel out your tablets. And spiritually what that means is we've got to prepare our hearts in order for God to write on it. You're not going to just experience God if you're not preparing yourself for that experience. All right. And so we're kind of looking at the physical and the spiritual. So it, it, you have to prepare your heart for God to write on it. Verse two says that he was ready early in the morning, that Moses was ready early in the morning. The first hours of the day are maybe the best times that you can chisel out your tablet, if you will. If you're not reading your Bible and, and whether you do it first thing in the morning or in the evening, I know everybody's got a different clock or a different time frame where they're more productive. The point is. If you're not reading the Bible, you're not chiseling out your tablet of stone. All right. You have to be exposing yourself to the Lord. If you expect to experience God, you have to expose yourself to the Lord. Did you come here today expecting to experience God? Did you come today expecting something different? Did you prepare yourself for what we're here to do today? I hope you did because you get out of this what you put into it. And, and before just showing up, there's preparation throughout the week where you need to be putting yourself before the Lord. Next, we're going to see that, that there was a better separation, a, a more complete separation, if you will. In verse 3, notice this. No one is to come with you. That's what God says to Moses this time, coming up on the mountain. No one is to come with you or be seen anywhere on the mountain. Not even the flocks and the herds. Don't even let the, the animals come close to the front of the mountain. Nobody there. You have to come alone. Listen, Christian, you cannot... Continue your life on the shirt tails of your friends and your family. If you're a husband, a Christian husband, you, you're not going to be saved by your wife's experience. And if you're a wife, you can't be saved because your husband is a godly man. Christian, you have to come to God alone. You've got to make your relationship with God yours. You have to set aside daily alone time with God. You know, we think about, well, that's hard to do. That's hard to do. I'm busy. I got a lot going on. I got friends. I got family. I got work. I got school. I got all these things. You know what? Let me tell you something. Esther was alone in the king's harem. The only God-fearing person there. Daniel was alone in the prayer room three times a day. John was alone with God on the island of Patmos. And look at the revelation that he got. You have to have alone time with God. Just you and God. That's what Moses did. There has to be a time when there's just you and Jesus. And it needs to happen every day. Not just once a week or once a month. The next thing I noticed is that, that there must be effort. And this is the one we don't like because we live in that world of instant gratification. All right. We don't, we don't like, I shouldn't have to put forth effort for this. I should be able to drive up, get my sandwich and leave. That's how it should work. But we have to put forth effort. Look at chapter 34, verse 4. It says, so Moses chiseled out two stone tablets like the first ones and went up Mount Sinai early in the morning as the Lord had commanded him. And he carried the two stone tablets in his hands. 
Now, that must have been an effort. I don't know if any of you have ever climbed a large mountain, but trust me, it takes effort. I've climbed a mountain or two, and when we're weighted down with backpacks, that's heavy. And we had all the comfort straps and, you know, all the, all the handy stuff. Moses is carrying up these two stone tablets that he carved out, and he's going to carry them up the mountain. It takes effort. And when you're, you're weighted down with these two big heavy tablets of stone, you know, I, I have to picture Moses at this point in his life. He was much older, but he was mighty. He, he carried those up. He had to be strong, but it took effort. It took effort for him to get there. He exerted himself. He tried hard. We have to try hard to experience God on the mountaintops of your life. You have to put forth effort. It's not an entitlement thing. Here I am. Bless me. No, we have to put forth effort. It's hard sometimes. You have to try hard. Truth be told, daily, we really need to prepare to fight hard, tough battles with ourselves in order to be an overcomer. And, and we can do that, but we, we, need to, we need to make those choices. And they're hard, tough choices to make sometimes, and it takes effort. But don't ever think it's going to be easy because it takes work. Look at verse 5. In order to experience God, it also takes observation. Verse 5 says, And the Lord came down in a cloud and stood there with him and proclaimed his name, the Lord. Moses listened to God's word, words. He heard them. How do we know that? Because he wrote them down. Moses listened to God. You need to tune your heart to God's still small voice. And that takes effort. It takes effort to tune in God and tune out the world. We have to learn how to tune out the interference and tune into Jesus every single day. We need to surrender ourselves. Look at verse 8. It says that when Moses came down, he bowed down to the ground. He bowed down in total surrender. Have you ever totally surrendered to God? Yielding your life to your Savior. We need to do that. We need to yield our life to God. If, you, if you're ever going to experience God in your life, you have to be prepared to yield yourself totally to Him. You have to surrender. And when Moses' face finally lit up, he didn't even know it was shining. Because, you know, our spiritual glory is not something that we parade around. That's what the Pharisees did. And that's not what, that's not what happened here. Moses didn't come off the mountain and go, Look at me, I was before God, I'm glowing. You're not, you heathen. He didn't do that. It's not for us to parade around. It's not something that we show off. It's given to the humble. And it's given to those who surrender and sacrifice their lives. The truly humble faces that come to God are the ones that will shine. And Moses was like that. I think it's a great example of humility and growth and Christian growth. Something else like, that we need like Moses is elimination. This is another one we don't like. You have to eliminate some things from your life. I'm going to skip down to verse 28. All right, because another thing that Moses did is this elimination. Moses was there with the Lord 40 days and 40 nights without eating bread and without drinking water. He did without. He eliminated food from his life for 40 days and 40 nights. You need to remove anything that will restrict the full flow of the presence of the Lord in your life. Moses went 40 days and 40 nights without food and without water, eliminating that from his life so that he might focus on God. Try it sometime. Now, I don't want you to die. I don't want you to go 40 days and nights without eating and drinking, okay, and, and trying to function and go to work. But think about it. Fast in some way. Give up some significant thing in your life for a period of time. Just try it. Clear your agenda. Throw out maybe some books. Throw out some DVDs. Throw out some videos. Throw out whatever. Root out from your life something that's holding you back from truly experiencing God. And you know what it is. I don't have to call it out for you. 
But, but take that. Take that challenge. 40 days. Give it up. And I don't mean like for Lent. I'm giving up breathing for Lent. As people do all kinds of crazy stuff for Lent. And I don't mean to make fun of Lent. I make fun of the people that, that go around and post on Facebook what they're giving up. And then on day 41, they're like gorging themselves on ice cream because they didn't know. Think about what's separating you from God, what's truly holding you back from experiencing God. Clear out some of those shelves. Clear out that stuff that it might not keep you, that will keep you from experiencing God. Another thing that we see in Moses here is he had a dedication. And, and it's, it's a dedication that he didn't really have before. In verse 8, it says he worshiped God. He spent time with God. He spent 40 days up there. That is impressive. We start complaining if we're in the building more than 40 minutes on a Sunday. And 40 days, totally committed to God. He never did it in that way before. He, he tarried in God's presence, if you will. He stuck with it. So many of us, we begin a Bible study or a Bible reading and we get through Genesis and you get stuck in Leviticus or something and you just, you stop. You get stuck in Chronicles somewhere and you just get bogged down. We need to be persistent in our worship, not on Sunday, but on every day in our devotions and our spiritual growth and the time we spend with God. We need to dedicate ourselves. We need to stick with it. Don't give up. We seem to, again, it's that entitlement, the, the quick service that we live in. We whip up a quick prayer and we wait five or six seconds for an answer and then we just toss in the towel and it doesn't really work that way. We need to spend time soaking up the Lord in our life. Spend time soaking up the words of God that are in your Bible. There are two 40-day trips, I shared that with you, where Moses spent time, two 40-day experiences with God, but only on the second did he come out where his face glowed. Now you might say, well, I've read the Bible before. I've been to church. I've prayed and my face isn't glowing. Where's my mountaintop experience with God? Be patient. It won't happen on the first meeting. And, and don't forget that little part about humility too. But maybe it won't happen on the second or third or fourth. But eventually, as you continue to put yourself before God, you'll be impressed with where he leads you and how he uses you. Moses was with God, as far as I can tell, like I said, six or seven, eight times. He spent time with God on the last time his face glows. And I came up with seven things that were different about Moses that had never happened in his life before. First off, he had a greater fitness. He had greater fitness for heaven. And he had a greater fitness in his life. He'd grown a lot since the burning bush. That's a time when he was in the presence of the Lord, one of the first times. And he's grown from there. Remember how he stood at the bush, if you remember this? Um, he stood there reluctantly. He was timid. Uh, mousy, mousy Moses, if you will. He stood there. You know, Lord, I'm not the one. Is there somebody else? He, he, you know, the Lord said, Aaron will go. He'll speak with you. And they, you know, Pharaoh kind of, he was shy about it. He was timid. But new Moses, he's different. It became very evident of this difference when, when I read about the first time he came down with the Ten Commandments and the golden calf. The Israelites are worshiping the golden calf. And, and in chapter 32, and I'm gonna read verse 19. You can see here, they had the golden calf and Moses' anger burned. You see that? There's a fire. Uh, verse, chapter 32, verse 19. A fire was ignited in the heart of Moses. And, and Marshmallow Moses, if I can say that, he became mad Moses. He changed. He's different. He's got this fire in his belly. He's got this spark in his life. He breaks the tablets of stone. He burns the golden calf. And then, this is, a, this is the cool part. This is where I'm like, he really changed. He grinds up the gold and the, and the, that's left over and the sand. He grinds it up into fine pieces, mixes it together, and he makes him drink it. Moses at the burning bush would not have done that. Not, not from what I saw of him. But Moses wasn't like that. You know? And, and now, now here's, here he is telling his older brother, here, you drink it. You were part of this. You drink it too. 
You made the golden calf. Aaron probably thought, what's gotten into you? Something's different about my younger brother. You know what finally did get into Moses? The power of God. The spirit of God had gotten into Moses and Moses had a righteous indignation against the sins of his people and the things they were doing against God. And he was a changed man and he was a new man. You've got a new Moses here. And that's a, that's one of the differences. Another difference I see Moses offers himself as an atonement in Exodus chapter 32, verse 32. He says this um, right here is a spirit of supreme sacrifice. He says to God, you're going to have to strike me down if you don't help these people and be forgiving to these people. Moses became right here in this verse in verse 32. He became similar to Jesus. He, he lost sight of himself and he surrendered all for his people. There's a lot of growth in Moses here. You don't you, you can see it starting to happen. If you want to experience God through mountaintops and valleys, lose sight of yourself and his presence. Another difference on, with Moses in chapter 33, verse 18, he asked to see God's glory. And all the times he was before God, he never asked that. He asked at the burning bush, well, who should I say sent me? And God said, I am. But he never asked to see God's glory. And here he asks to see God's glory. And you know what? What you don't ask for, you don't receive. Moses asked to see God's glory. Another thing I noticed was that Moses worshiped God this time. There, there are other instances where he was before the Lord, and the Bible doesn't say that he worshiped him. Even, even with the burning bush, I go back to that because it's, it's one of the more familiar stories. Um, the Lord says, take your feet off because the ground that you're on is holy ground. Uh, but Moses, the Bible doesn't say he took his feet off and he worshiped God. It says he took his, feet, or took his shoes off. Hard to take your feet off. That's bad news. He said he took his shoes off and was before God. But it doesn't say that he took his shoes off and he worshiped. And I thought, wow. Here he is in, in chapter 34, verse 8. And that's something different because I don't see him doing that before. But this time he worshiped God. And, and he also had effective prayer. In verse 29, Moses talked with God as he had never talked with God before. And I thought, man, that's impressive. Look at that prayer later on this week. And then I got to think in 2 Corinthians, um, or yeah, 2 Corinthians 3, verses 1 through 18. Write that down, 2 Corinthians 3, 1 through 18. This is the whole experience that that relates to Moses and how he experienced God. And I'm going to hit on a couple of these verses because in, in verse 7 it says, and If the ministry that brought death, which was engraved in the letters on stone, came with glory so that, the face, so that the Israelites could not look steadily on the face of Moses because of its glory, if fading though it was, it was, will not the ministry of the Spirit be even more glorious? And so what you see here, he beheld God. Verse 18 brings out in a special way, beholding will always change you. That's what you need to understand there. If you're beholding money, it will change you. If you're beholding to your job, you will change because your job will pull you from your family and from your duties as a husband or as a wife. If you're beholding on your computer, on the internet, and, and, I, and I'm not just talking about certain pictures and, and things like that, but if you're beholding to, to Facebook, if you're beholding to the things that are lewd, the violence and the stuff that's on the, on the internet now, you'll be changed into those things. You'll be changed into what you're beholding to. But if you're beholding Jesus, you will be changed into the likeness of Jesus. You have to understand how that works. It's how we experience God, really experience God through mountaintops. You can go through all the good days in your life. And if you're not beholding on to Jesus, you're not going to experience God through those good things. It's only in this last visit, once again, this last visit, Moses emerges and he experiences the new covenant. 
And I think he here he experiences a new covenant of righteousness by faith on this visit. As God is writing the Ten Commandments on the tablets of stone, he also wrote them upon the heart of Moses, and Moses was a new man. And you can read about that in chapter 34 of Exodus. I want to share this with you. Um, chapter 34, verses 6 and 7. This is, this is really good. This is what Moses saw. He saw the love of God. In verse 6, it says, He passed in front of Moses, being God, proclaiming the Lord, the compassionate, gracious God, slow to anger, abounding in love and faith, faithfulness, maintaining love to thousands, forgiving wickedness, rebellion, and sin. Those are some pretty important words there. You know, I think at this point, the light bulb kind of goes off for Moses. He, he sees that, that God's not harsh, but he sees that God is loving and, and that, that our God is a special God. He saw God's mercy. He experienced God's mercy as he never had before, right here in his heart. And when you experience that vibrant love of God in your heart, you will be changed. And Moses was changed and his face shined. I think this illustrates that truth that by drawing near to God, he will draw near to you and your life should reflect that just like Moses. And so the question is not how do we experience God on the mountaintop. The question is, do you want to be transformed? And we all say yes. And, and even our world shows that we want to be transformed because we do things. We go to tanning booths because we want to be transformed in the wintertime. We don't want to be pale. We spend tons of money to get a facelift or a tummy tuck or a makeover. Uh, we shrink this. We enlarge that. We wear fake fingernails, fake eyelashes. Some people wear fake hair. We pay a fortune for little jars and tubes of gook and slime and ooze to put on our faces and cover our wrinkles. Every infomercial in the world is about covering this up. Not this, because I'm naturally beautiful. But, you know, and I'm humble about it. But it's what we do. We, we want to be changed. We, we have people that have plastic surgery, but God wants more than cosmetic change. God wants to change our whole life from the inside out. And the only way you can do that is by exposing yourself to Jesus Christ. And you'll be radically transformed and you'll be totally changed and you will experience God. I want to recap this for you in case you happen to, not, to miss something. The best way to experience God on a mountaintop, spend time with God on the mountain. The next thing we have to do is we have to lose sight of ourselves. We have to focus on Jesus and you will, you will be changed. We need to listen to what God says, which means we need to be in his word. We need to know what his word is telling us to do. And like Moses, we need to go down from that mountain and we need to serve. So you go down off that, Mo that mountaintop, Moses, you go down there where it's dark and, and where you're going to help people and you're going to lead others through their desert wilderness and you're going to let that experience and it's going to do somebody good someday. One day, a little girl asked her mother a question. She said, is God big? Oh, yes, the mother said. Well, how big is God? Well, he's bigger than the whole world. The little girl said, well, does God live in my heart? And the mom said, well, yes, he does. She said, well, then if he's bigger than the whole world and he lives in my heart, wouldn't he show right through? It's <laughs> a good question. Because the reality is you can't be in the presence of Jesus and come away unchanged. When Moses came down off the mountain, everybody knew that he was different. Everybody knew he had been with God. And when you spend quality time with Jesus, you can't help but be changed. Radioactive Moses had a shine and it wouldn't quit. They covered it. But when you get in the presence of Jesus, when people see that Jesus is in you, they're going to want what you have. 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 13 says, We are not like Moses who would put a veil over his face to keep the Israelites from gazing at it while the radiance was fading away. Folks, don't veil your face. 
Don't veil your light. Don't veil your life. Verse 18, we who with unveiled faces all reflect the Lord's glory are being transformed, are being transformed into his likeness with ever increasing glory, which comes from the Lord, who is the spirit. So if you want to experience God on the mountaintop, take off the veil, remove the veil when you come down from that mountain, because people ought to see the change in your life. It ought to be evident. When Moses came down off the mountain, everybody knew he'd been with God. Let other people see Jesus shine in your life. Let them see it in your character. Let them see it in what you do. I like verse 18. It says that our shine increases with ever increasing glory. The more time you spend with God, the more time, the more you're going to shine. Our life will change gradually in small increments. Because when we are zealous for the things of God, we will experience him in more than just a mountaintop experience. Matthew chapter 5, verse 16 says, Let your light shine before men that they may see. They may see your good deeds and praise your Father who is in heaven. Years ago in New York City, in a ghetto district, there was a small boy with ragged clothes and he had this mirror, just a little scrap of a broken mirror and he was down in the alley and he was, he was trying to catch the, the sunshine and, and reflect it back up to the top of a house, of a, of a tenement house, into a window. He just trying to shine that little light into a window. And this man came by, he says, hi, you're one of those bad kids. You're up to mischief, aren't you? And he's trying to shine the sun up into this window. And, and the man grabs his kid by the shoulder. He says, I don't know who you are, but most of the boys in this neighborhood are bad. You're probably one of them. The boy looked up into this man's face and he said, mister, do you see that window up there? That's my brother's room. He's crippled. He lays on his back all day long. And the only sunlight he ever sees is what I can shine up there into the ceiling with this little piece of mirror. You know, the only Jesus that some people are ever going to see is the Jesus they see in your face and the light that you shine in your life. You, you need to beam that into everybody's face that looks at you. You beam Jesus into their life because you have been to the mountaintop. When you accepted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior and you were baptized, you were on that mountain. And now, Christian, you may be the only Jesus that they ever see. Wherever you go, be that reflection. Don't, don't veil your face. Don't, don't cover your zeal for Christ. As we get to this point, normally I would be doing a response time right now. But we're going to do it a little bit differently today. Before we come to our response time, we're going to ordain a young man, Jamin Bailey. Jamin, come on up. As we get to the, the ordination, I want to I tell you a little bit about this guy because uh, he's pretty extraordinary um, and his family. And uh, he, he's making a bold step. He's going to a place he's never been. He's not sure what lays in store. This is Jamin, ladies and gentlemen. And so, yeah. There's his family. And uh, you'll get to meet them as well here in a little while. Um, Jamin was born in 1984 in Toledo, Ohio. He was raised on the Bailey family farm south of Croydon, Indiana. He was the son of Michael and Lori Bailey, the second of their 10 children. And one of your sisters is here. Is that right? Very good. So one, one of them was able to come. That's awesome. Uh, his childhood, his adolescent years were a rich experience of farm work, construction, logging, hunting, and multiple runs of his father for the U.S. Congress. He worked on all four of his dad's campaigns and, and various other local and federal campaigns. But he first felt called to full-time Christian ministry as a high school student in 2002. So, or I'm sorry, as a high school student. Then in 2002, he began working on a BA in Bible and preaching 
at Johnson University in Knoxville, Tennessee. Through his first two years of Bible college, he remained unsure of the precise area of ministry that he would work in. But during the fall of 2004, Jamin went and visited his younger brother at the Marine Corps Base Camp Lejeune and realized that becoming a chaplain would fulfill both his lifelong passion to serve in the military and the calling to serve God in full-time ministry. So he told his brother and some other military friends about his desire, and he was constantly told that, if he, would, that he would be more effective as a chaplain if he first served in a general capacity. So taking their counsel, he contacted the Marine Corps and started an eight-year journey, beginning with officer candidate school at Quantico in the summer of 2005 and ending in May of 2013. God sustained Jamin and his family during this time, uh, during numerous overseas deployments, mostly while based in Okinawa, Japan. Speaking of family, Jamin and his wife Crystal met during their freshman orientation. That's how most good couples meet. Um, <laughs> we met after freshman orientation, but you know. Uh, <laughs> they met at freshman orientation in the University at Johnson and spent the following four years cultivating a friendship that blossomed into a profound and lasting love. They were married here at Huntsville Christian Church on May 13, 2006, and spent a few months together before he left for training. And the next seven years saw Jamin constantly coming and going to different countries around the South Pacific and Middle East, including deployments to Afghanistan and Bahrain. Crystal bravely gave birth to two of their children while Jamin was deployed. And, and I got to tell you, many marriages break under pressure like that. They were definitely put to the test on a few occasions, but God was faithful and he provided them and provided for them and strengthened them against the challenges that long absences can create. In May 2011, Jamin left active duty in order to pursue a Master's of Divinity degree so that he could become a chaplain. After a year of on-campus courses at the Southern Baptist Theolog Theological Seminary located in Louisville, Kentucky, Jamin mobilized from the Marine Corps Reserves and deployed to Bahrain for one year. During his deployment and following his return, he was able to continue to take his classes online, and he graduated in May of 2014. While in Bahrain, Jamin and Crystal felt a clear call to move to Madison while he finished seminary in order to be an evangelistic presence to her family here. They moved in in, in June of 2013, and the Lord has blessed them immensely. Their daughter, Journey, was born at Huntsville Hospital in April. She has joined their three-year-old daughter, River, and two-year-old son, Riker, and they've made them a blessed family of five. Uh, there they are, as I said. But this has not been a year or a time without trial, as Riker was nearly taken by viral encephalitis in May. On, on the 14th of May, Jamin went to get, get Riker from his crib and found him in the midst of a bad seizure. Some of you may have seen this on the news. Um, and the seizure apparently had been going on for some time. Even after arriving at the hospital, it took the doctors six hours to stop the seizure. Following the, the seizure, Riker's brain began to swell, and the consensus among multiple neurologists and neurosurgeons was that he would not survive. But as thousands of people from around the world came together on social media and in local churches to pray for Riker's healing, the Lord heard those prayers, and Riker has made a recovery that even the doctors recognize as a miracle. Amen. Riker should not have survived, but we serve a God who still works among us, and he saved his life. And today, with grateful hearts, Jamin and Crystal and their family are preparing to move to Greenville, North Carolina, where Jamin will assume a full-time position with the corporate, as a corporate chaplain with Corporate Chaplains of America. And he can talk with you more about that. It's a pretty amazing opportunity. You know, throughout history, God has called workers to carry out his will Righteous Noah was chosen to build the ark and survive the flood and save his family. Abraham, the man of faith, was selected to be the forerunner of God's holy nation, Israel. Moses was called to deliver his people from bondage. 
Jesus chose the 12 to be his apostles. And the early church set apart those called to special work through prayer and laying on of hands. And we are here at this time in our service to formally ordain our brother in Christ, Jamin Bailey, to the work that God has called him. We seek to only honor Christ. And this one right here is being set apart for that same purpose. Right now, I'd like to pray and just invoke God's blessing on this occasion. Father God, I thank you. Uh, for who you are. I thank you for Jamin and Crystal and, and their family, but I thank you for, for their life. I thank you for their desire to, to be a light, to shine for you wherever they go. And, and as we have this time in our service to ordain him, I pray that, that what we do here honors you, and I pray that you will sustain both he and, and Crystal and their family as they go into this new chapter of life. And it's in your son's name that we give thanks. Amen. Okay. Right now, we're going to have a time of responsive reading. And uh, your response is written in black. It'll be up on the screen. And so we'll go ahead and start with that. Lift your eyes, lift up your eyes and look on the fields. They are white for the harvest. The harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Then I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send, and who will go for us? I have heard the call of Christ, and in the words of the prophet Isaiah, I say, Here am I, send me. Would the elders please come forward at this time? Have you elders of Huntsville Christian Church carefully considered the qualifications of Jamin Bailey for the work of the ministry as a servant of Jesus Christ? Are you satisfied that he will be a worthy messenger and a representative of the Lord? Are you willing that he should be ordained to the Christian ministry at this time? At this time, our elders are going to pray over Jamin. Hang on, let me grab the microphone real quick. Most gracious, most gracious, loving, heavenly Father, we just come to you at this time. We just praise your name for being the great and wonderful God that you are. We thank you so much, Lord, for lifting up servants who are willing to go into these fields. We thank you, Lord, for, for Jamin's commitment unto this effort, and we just ask that you might bless him, bless his family, and that we here at Huntsville Christian will just help him in all that we can and and do. And I, I just, again, thank you, Lord, for those who are willing to go and to serve. Our Heavenly Father, we, as elders, uh, followed your... um, method for us to not lay hands hastily on anyone that we have examined uh, his preparation and we we thank you father that uh, he has uh, spent much time and much effort preparing himself for this work father your word tells us that uh, as uh, iron sharpens iron one man sharpens another as he begins his uh, ministry as a chaplain father we know that you will use him to sharpen others to bring them 
to a full knowledge of your word. And Father, we would ask that you would uh, use him in that endeavor as a sharp instrument in your hands. Father in heaven, this is truly a mountaintop experience. Thank you uh, for calling servants into the to the ministry. Thank you for calling Jamin. Thank you for his faithfulness to respond and say that he's willing to go where you send him. I, I just pray, Father, that you would go before him, um, that you, Father, watch his back and that, that you screen his flanks, Father, and that you keep him and his family in the hollow of your hands and protect him, Father, as only you can. Father, uh, I just pray that you, as he moves into ordained ministry, that uh, you would strengthen him to to guard the truth, Father, to guard the treasure in which you have entrusted him, which is the truth of your word, that you would help him, Father, to preach the word in season and out, and that, Father, you would comfort him when times are hard, him and his family, uh, as we know they will be at times and already have been. And, Father, that you just keep him very close and give him strength to endure, him and his family. Father, help us here at Huntsville Christian Church to be faithful, to encourage him, to remember them in our prayers, to uh, to love them even from a distance, Father, and help us uh, all to be encouraged and strengthened by his example of uh, service to you. We pray all this, Father, in Jesus' love and holy name. Amen. Jamin, you have declared your purpose to give your life in the service of Jesus Christ. You have received the approval of these elders of this congregation. And you have now been formally set apart for this holy calling. You will be accountable to these men as you serve, and, and they will be accountable to you. And even though you're headed to Greenville, North Carolina, we're just a phone call or an email away. All right? Uh, please keep us involved. And wherever you go, remember, the only thing you have to do is honor God in your words, in your actions and in the way that you lead your family. Uh, go and be the reflection of Christ that we've talked about today, and congratulations on your ordination. I know that Jamin's not the only person here today that's, that's maybe made a response or a decision for Christ, and... I know that we'd like to offer an opportunity for everyone to respond to God's word. So maybe you're not ready quite to be set apart and sent out for Christian service like Jamin and his family. That's a huge step. Maybe you just need an opportunity for repentance to rededicate. Maybe you need to pray with the elders or maybe you're ready to take that first step and make Jesus Christ your Lord and Savior, your life, and start fresh with submission to him through baptism. But whatever you decide today, please consider how you'll respond to God's word as we sing. And consider how you will reflect God as you leave here today. Will you stand and sing with us and uh, respond during this time?